Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Ja and Adam Brewer. Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. And I'm Adam, your co-host. This week, we're going to circle back on one of the topics that we promised that we talk about, which is device management. If you have been listening to the show for a while, we talked about identity protection, single sign-on, and then conditional access. And device management is kind of a subset of conditional access, but it's really important, especially now that people are on different cloud solutions, as well as working from different locations. With COVID, a lot of people work from home, maybe on their personal device versus a corporate owned device. So we're just going to do a deeper dive into device management and all the different solutions that come with that. There's a common misconception when you say corporate device versus personal device. And when I put out a policy for a device management solution and certain policies that have to be applied to it, and I'm talking about a security policy, most of the time the wording in that will refer to maybe a corporate device will have certain things applied to it versus a personal device. Like, for example, location or the ability to wipe the device completely, because if it's a corporate-owned device, we may say we have the right to wipe that device at any time or recover that device if it becomes lost or stolen by tracking the location of it versus a personal device that's not something that you would want to do that so you put that in writing and when people think corporate device they think it's one that the company bought and owned when it comes to device management though sometimes in the solution it will dictate between an actual corporate owned device versus a personal device and in the device management digital solution oftentimes the personal device is what's considered a self-enrolled device versus a corporate owned device which may be something that is in DEP or device enrollment program managed or like a Samsung Knox, where when you reset the device, it will automatically re-enroll into that mobile management program. Versus if I have a self-enrolled device and I reset the device, it will just go back to the factory state and it will become a personal device again. There's a really important point that Andy's making here, which is we need to separate the distinction of who is the owner of the device in the legal sense, which doesn't impact how we manage the device compared to how does the management platform treat those classes of devices differently. And to Andy's point, I'll speak to Microsoft Intune since I'm familiar with it, for a device to be considered a corporate device, Intune has to have some sort of prior knowledge about the device whether that's a manual upload of IMEI numbers or serial numbers, or those flow in through those automatic workflows like automated device enrollment with Apple or some of the other Android equivalents that Andy mentioned as well. The key factor there is because the corporation knows about those devices, they can load them in the management platform ahead of time. Anything else where the device shows up and we've never seen it before and we, we weren't expecting it, essentially, that gets marked as personal. And there's different 
different ways around this and all sorts of other factors, but it's an important distinction to understand because the gap is growing wider. And so there's a point, we'll kind of circle back to this a little later in the show, but I'll just make up front since we're talking about it now, where with Apple and Google who control the two primary mobile operating systems, they're actually bifurcating what controls you have on the device depending on how it becomes enrolled. So in Apple parlance, they use language like user-driven enrollment or user-based enrollment. And that's a more limited kind of enrollment where there's certain controls you don't have access to versus to get access to the full feature set of management tools and options. It must come in through things like Apple School Manager, Apple Business Manager, or what are kind of jointly referred to as automated device enrollment. So we'll touch on this more as we go through the show, but it's a great point to make up front. And then kind of my last point on the subject, and and again, we'll unpack this as we go along, but kind of setting the stage here, is that none of that necessarily maps to how or if we can meet your organization's desired management controls. Who owns the device from a legal perspective doesn't impact that. And what controls we have from a management control plane may or may not impact whether we have all the controls we need to meet your security guidelines. And again, we'll unpack all of that as we go through the show, but it's a really, really good point to make kind of upfront and lay the foundation for today's discussion. There's a lot of MDM products out there or device management products. Some examples may be Mobile Iron or AirWatch, Mass360, Adam mentioned Intune, which is Microsoft's solution. Jamf is another big one in the Mac and Apple space. But I remember when I was talking to you, Adam, about this previously, and there was a point you made that really stuck to me because when you're trying to compare different solutions, maybe one solution may have an advantage over another. But what was the, I call it an atomism. What was the point that you were trying to make when it comes to the MDM APIs? And I want you to say, because I think that when you explain it, it makes sense for our listeners. I think it's only natural that we take the existing knowledge base we have and attempt to map that to new things as we learn about them. So one of the things that's happened with computing and with information technology is that we had this concept in our head of these desktop class operating systems like Mac OS and like Windows, where they ran any amount of arbitrary code. And to manage those platforms, you usually deployed some sort of management agent that was you know, written from scratch. It was completely unique to that vendor and everything it did was kind of a unique tie-in and call out to the operating system. And what happened on mobile operating systems is they did it differently because they don't run arbitrary code and they certainly don't allow access to all system resources. There's no way to plug into those or change the way the operating system behaves. So give Apple credit here and this is interesting because as much as people used to dismiss Apple as not an enterprise company, they essentially created this model that has now proliferated across all four and five, if you count Chrome OS, major operating system platforms at this point, where you have a set of APIs that you can call if you are a management platform. So you just named off a whole bunch, Andy, MobileIron, AirWatch, Moss360, Jamf, Intune, etc. They all call the same APIs to an iPhone when they want to do something on it. So Apple, as an example, will expose an API 
API to pull an app inventory, list all the apps that are on the device. And that API may return things like name, description, file size, last modified, whatever. I don't even know what it returns. The fact is Apple defines that, right? Apple defines that API. They say what it returns, what you can call, what you can do with it. And all of the vendors, they just call that API and then they display the results in their user interface. And so there's no room for being creative, like innovation in the management space, because you're all working with the same set of tools, the same set of controls that Apple and Google control. So what's really important when you look at a management platform, in part is certainly how much of the API do they implement, but maybe more importantly, in my humble opinion, is what does it integrate with? What does that management platform tie into above and beyond itself? And that might be more of the important consideration than just in a pure vacuum of what is the feature set, because the feature set is defined by the operating system vendor, and it should be almost identical across all of the major players, because all of them have implemented almost every API there is to call. Now, there are exceptions, and certainly not everybody's going to measure up against like a jam on an Apple device where they're just, they're going to do everything and nobody else is as at their level, but you're going to have pretty broad support is the bottom line. And you talked about integration there. And I think it's important to understand when it comes to corporate data, people are using all different type of devices across all different type of OSs, right? You have corporate Windows devices, personal Windows devices, iOS devices, Android devices, Mac OS, Linux, Chrome. I mean, there's a bunch of different operating systems that you're going to be accessing that information. And so when you're doing these comparisons on different MDM products, you should be asking, can that MDM solution help you secure your data across all different type of OSs. When we looked at different MDM devices at my company, or not devices, but solutions, one of them that they settled on was Mass360, and we have a partial implementation of that. And when I came in and tried to help secure the data on it, because we've talked about how single sign-on SaaS applications, as long as you have a valid identity, you're able to access that data on any type of device without any other condition associated with it. So as long as that identity is good, we actually don't care about the condition of the device. And that's where this discussion really matters is we're trying to figure out is the device infected? Is the device current on its patching or other different conditions that can be applied that you want to be cognizant of if you're going to be putting company data on it. So in the example of say like Mass360, they did have some sort of conditional access that they could integrate with Mass360's identity. So IBM has their own identity identity provider that if you don't use, you have to then forward the call from your identity provider to theirs to sign in to complete the conditional access request on that device, which is all well and good, right? If you're just using, say, iOS and Android, even if you're using iOS and Android for corporate owned devices in some sort of automated device profile deployment. However, let's say you want to manage Windows devices with some sort of conditional access and device management. Well, now you have to use Mass360 in order to trigger that conditional access. Who uses Mass360 for managing Windows devices? Probably nobody out there. We all either use some sort of SCCM or Active Directory, Intune, Azure Active Directory. I mean, there's that's probably 99% of the organizations out there. So in order to do some sort of conditional access, you'd have to use their device management. And so that's where it gets tricky. Same thing with other MDM solutions. They may have a way to integrate it, but 
you have to maybe buy into their device management program for all OSs. Intune, of course, is really nice because it integrates with Windows. It also integrates with Mac OS and iOS and Android. You make a valid point. Those are kind of some of the things to consider of if you're just looking for a platform for your mobile devices, which I define as iOS and Android, that's great. But what is your plan to get modern for your other operating system platforms? Because there is a play to modernize macOS management. In fact, it's pretty much a requirement today. Windows 10 management maybe is kind of the trailing leg here, but it's still something to consider because there's so many benefits to getting modern with management of that. That too. And then you talk about integration with identity. You know, we'll touch on that a little bit as we go through the show today, but that's a huge, huge component of a zero trust strategy where if I can leverage the device health, the device configuration and query that when I'm making an access decision, that's really interesting. That's really powerful. And that kind of ties into our next discussion. So this concept might use slightly different words as you look at different management solutions, but the concepts are more or less the same. So there's two main types of policies that you're going to use when you manage devices through a MDM platform. One of them is configuration profiles. And those are the kind of profiles that set all the things. They actually go to the device and they enforce settings. So they change stuff or they enforce stuff or they lock that stuff so it stays that way. Then there's another concept called compliance policies. Compliance policies are like, and I forget whose ad it was. I think it was LifeLock a couple of years ago where they'd have these funny ads where something would be going crazy and there'd be a person sitting there saying, well, I'm just a monitor. I don't do anything about it. That's kind of a compliance policy because they just monitor the settings on the device, but compliance policies in and of themselves don't enforce anything. So usually there's not a lot of overlap because compliance policies look for different things than do configuration policies. But where you will run into this, it's a little bit of a gotcha. So to be aware of is password policy because a configuration policy is where you will say thou shalt have a six digit numeric passcode a compliance policy is just going to check for the presence of that but it's not going to enforce it but there's also interesting things you can do with compliance policies like andy you kind of made mention of this earlier is it jailbroken is it rooted is it running a current version of the operating system if you're into windows 10 management you can do things like is bitlocker enabled is secure boot enabled and get a little deeper into some of those health checks as well but those are all available as part of a compliance policy. And that's what stitches that whole kind of story together we were talking about where if I am, say, using Microsoft Intune and Azure Active Directory, let's say a user wants to get to Salesforce from their iPhone and Salesforce is integrated with Azure AD, single sign-on. And you have a conditional access policy that says you must have a compliant device to access Salesforce. So now let's put all the pieces together. I have an iPhone. It has a compliance policy on it. It's checking for iOS version. It's checking for jailbreak. And if all of those are good, it is marked as compliant, which is set in Intune. Then Azure AD, when the device says, hey, I want to get to Salesforce, it says, hold on a second. Let me check with Intune first. Hey, Intune, is Andy's iPhone compliant? And Intune says, yeah, it is. It says, okay, Andy's iPhone, come on into Salesforce. But you've just stitched all those pieces together. And if Andy jailbreaks his iPhone, then it's going to get kicked out of Salesforce and not access it anymore. And that's kind of what we're talking about with 
that integration piece and what benefits you get from compliance policies, you can trigger actions that happen or remove access permissions if a device becomes non-compliant. And Andy, before we move on, you were telling me about something earlier about kind of your philosophy on creating configuration policies and how you like to manage them. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So I just want to back up one second before we dive into that. To make it real for our listeners, I want to give an example of compliance policies versus configuration policies that I actually encountered recently. So Apple released a patch for their iPhones. 14.4 is the latest operating system that is available for iOS. And that patch had fixed a bunch of security vulnerabilities that included remote code execution, malicious code execution that attackers could get to through a vulnerability onto your iPhone. It's pretty rare that Apple would escalate this type of security patch. So when we reviewed it as a security department, we thought that this was pretty bad. And so we felt the need to push everyone to the most current operating system for iOS devices. We have a bunch of corporate owned sales iPads and a bunch of people have iPhones. The phones that we issue out to people are generally iPhones. So we mostly have iOS. And so we manage a lot of that through Mastery 60 and Intune and a bunch of other things. So when we decided to push that out, we have some DEP or automated enrolled devices, as well as some self-enrolled devices. Our self-enrolled devices, again, whether or not they're company-owned, they were self-enrolled. And so in the solution, it shows as a personal device. When we decided to apply the policy, we could have just gone and said, hey, we're going to force everyone to upgrade to the latest iOS operating system. And that would be a configuration change. We would trigger the automatic install of the latest operating system. But but there's some concern there because number one, maybe a user bought an app that only works on an older iOS and now we're forcing them to do that. Or maybe something goes wrong with the upgrade and it ends up breaking their phone or something bad happens, right? And it's because we triggered that update. Granted, they have company data on their phone to begin with, which is why we manage it. But what we decided to do was for configuration, we'd push out the update and change the configuration and force everyone to the latest iOS. IOS. And then for personal devices, we would use a compliance policy. So we would force the compliance policy to be 14.4, which means that if the user is not on 14.4, they would lose access to our company data, but that wouldn't force them to upgrade. They can upgrade whenever they want. They may call the service desk and say, hey, I, I can't get to my email anymore. Or I can't get to Teams. And it's because they're on an older operating system. So we're not necessarily forcing it, but in reality, we just cut them off, right? Like Adam said, you don't get any more access because the compliance says you have to be on the latest one. Andy, you know, one other point you kind of made there too in a more subtle fashion is that also highlights the differences between devices that come in through automated device enrollment versus a user-driven enrollment because you can't make those user-driven enrollment devices do an update automatically. You don't have permission to do that. You can set the setting and the iPhone will go, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that because it's not through automated device enrollment. So that's also a really valid point of even if your company owned those devices because they didn't come in through that channel, you don't have access to do that. What a great great real world example of kind of stitching all the things we've talked about together. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so when it comes to configuration policies, I typically like to organize my configuration policies generally for 
a specific setting. So when you're doing a configuration policy, sometimes people get carried away and they apply a bunch of different things. Like I'm going to set the configuration to be a six digit passcode. I'm going to make sure that a Wi-Fi profile gets pushed out. I'm going to do all different things. And then what happens is when the configuration of policy applies, it may fail on certain things. And then you're not really sure which one it fails on, or, or sometimes the whole thing just fails. And there's a specific part of it that fails but you can't narrow it down. So it makes troubleshooting a little bit harder. And when it comes to phones, because there's so many different models and different OS versions, it's just easier to troubleshoot by putting a specific policy. Like if you want the firewall enabled for the Windows 10 or Mac OS or BitLocker slash FileVault, you make that one policy and that specific one apply. So that's my personal recommendation when it comes to how to organize all the different type of configuration policies that are out there and just organize by specific ones and name them that and then when when or if it does fail to apply you know this user on this device this is the policy it failed to enable bitlocker and keep in mind how those actually get deployed to the devices is each one of those is essentially an XML file and they all get sent out separately if you separate them out the way Andy described. And so if I try to send this XML payload file to an iPhone and there's 90 settings in it and one of them is wrong and the iPhone goes, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Now I have to try to troubleshoot that and it can be a lot trickier to figure out why that's failing than if you break them all out and just that one profile is failing, you have made your trouble troubleshooting a lot easier. And if you need to update those settings down the road, it again can limit headaches because what if you try to update a massive configuration profile again with like 90 settings in it and you break something and now there is no configuration profile in all your users' phones and they can't get to corporate Wi-Fi or email or whatever, you know, that could happen potentially. So this is definitely a best practice what Andy is describing and you should do it. So if you're new to device management, there are a ton of APIs that these vendors will implement. There's a lot of different policies that you can configure. So I'm just gonna kind of give our listeners a cliff note version of when I configure a new policy, this is kind of best practice. There's obviously a lot of different opinions out there and you will tailor your own policies based on what your company dictates is most important. But as a best practice or recommendation, these are the ones that I would recommend. So for mobile devices, Adam has already mentioned it. Check to make sure that the devices aren't rooted or jailbroken. That's pretty basic. Six-digit PIN is kind of the bare minimum these days. Most devices are encrypted nowadays, although there are still a few Android devices out there that people are using that haven't used encryption by default. But most of the modern devices are. But you should still have that compliance or configuration checked off just in case. Screen lock timeout. I usually enforce this. It's one of the policies that are pushed back on or users complain about because sometimes if they're like watching a show or something like that and the screen times out on them but best practice you know if you have company data you don't want the screen to be indefinitely lit up and not locked out if the user leaves it unattended. So configure something that is short enough that users feel comfortable with. A minute, two minutes is probably the, the max that I would go. Five minutes maybe at most, but that's usually about the range that I would go with. Something shorter than that, like 30 seconds, you'll probably get a lot of complaints from users. Minimum operating system, we've talked about this as well, that you can enforce either on automated enrolled devices to automatically go out there and grab the latest one, or you can do it through a compliance policy. For Apple devices, 
generally recommend the latest one that's out there because Apple doesn't do security updates for their older versions of their iOS devices. For Android, you know, right now Gartner recommends Android 9.0. For Windows devices, generally I would do like one minus the most current one in the fall version. So right now 20H2 is probably the bare minimum that I would go. Maybe 20H1 if you want to be a little bit more lenient. Most companies are on some sort of the fall version. So 1909, maybe I think that one's still supported. But these are versions that you would want to bump up and change each time a new version of the software comes out, right? So just make sure that you keep up on that. One note on the iOS thing in particular, and Andy already made this point, is on iOS, Apple doesn't patch old iOSs unless it's like really, really, really bad. They've done it occasionally, but almost never. But again, go look at how old of an iPhone you can have that runs iOS 14. I think you can still run iOS 14 on an iPhone 6S. And that is like super old, like 2013, I think that came out. It's literally almost an eight-year-old iPhone and it still runs the latest operating system. So you should not feel bad. They're free updates of being really, really strict on your iOS required version with your policies just because there's no cost there's no downside really other than maybe some really weird edge cases of unsupported software or something but in general this is where you should be pretty aggressive and just to note that does not apply to mac os apple does issue security updates for i think it's minus two current on mac os for security updates so that's a different ball of wax but on ios for sure with how long apple supports old hardware and the fact that they don't patch old versions from a security perspective it's just a no-brainer you can and should be strict on it i think some empathy is always important in security as well this has come up in our recent conversations at my company because we're enforcing 14.4 and so people are being forced to maybe upgrade their iphones and not everyone is in the financial position to upgrade that and so it's up to your security team or your CISO or whoever to make that determination and risk call but for us we kind of drew the line just like adam said because of how old those phones are we didn't want this vulnerability out there. So we said, hey, if you, your phone can't support 14.4, unfortunately, we can't allow company data on that. So it also comes into play with, say, MFA tokens. Sometimes people don't have smartphones. There are people out there who can't afford smartphones. They just have a regular flip phone still. And if you require the soft token, like the authenticator app, they may not be able to put that on there. So having an exception and being empathetic that they may not have the financial means to have a smartphone. Okay, yes, it's a let's secure for an SMS tax. We understand that, right? But I think we've talked about in the maybe the MFA episode where having MFA, even if it is just a text message is better than not having anything at all. And so cost of doing business, you, you want these folks to at least be able to work. So have a path for that exception. Moving on just to get cover some of these other operating systems like Mac OS. Generally, I recommend it pushing out a configuration policy to enable the file vault. Gatekeeper is also another one where Mac OS has a way to have a signed or trusted app to execute. If you download something from the website, if it's not signed or trusted, it'll get blocked either upon first execution or when you try to install it. So there's always a way to make an exception as well, but the initial warning of saying, hey, this is not a trusted publisher, that setting should be enabled. Firewall, password policy, those are pretty basic as well. What you want to dictate for a password, whether it be 8 or 10 or 15, 
remember that these devices may be personal devices as well. So be cognizant of when applying those policies. For Windows devices, generally up-to-date AV, that'll be automatic for most personal devices with Windows Defender built in, or maybe they bought a third-party one. that'll verify whether or not the AV agent has an up-to-date definition. Windows Hello for Business, for sure, or Windows Hello, I generally enable that because it's passwordless and multi-factor as well. Defender Smart Screen, BitLocker, those are all very good. And for a smart screen, at least, it is fairly low impact to the user if it's a personal device. BitLocker may be more impactful, especially if their device isn't encrypted. But if you're putting company data on a device, you're going to want the drive to be encrypted. Making sure that the firewall is on for Azure AD Join devices or hybrid Azure AD Join, I generally apply the self-service password reset configuration as well, where you can reset your password from the login screen. And then there's some other things like feature updates, delivery optimization, certificates, Wi-Fi. Those are all things that you can apply for configuration profiles on corporate devices. But at the same time, I like to tell folks when I worked at Microsoft, I enrolled my personal device in Intune because I use my personal device for work. And Microsoft's Intune configuration pushed certificates and Wi-Fi profiles for their corporate offices onto my personal device so that when I took my personal device, even though it was owned by me, to a Microsoft office, it automatically joined their internal corporate network. Of course, there's compliance policies that Microsoft applied as well, but think about that for a second. I used my personal device and it joined automatically. The profile was pushed automatically to my personal device and I was on the internal network when I went to a corporate office. And you can do that, right? Because one of the things that we want people to kind of get out of the habit of thinking of is corporate owned versus personal owned. It should be, is it a compliant device or a non-compliant device? And if it is compliant based on all the security policies and compliance policies that you've dictated, then why shouldn't it have access to corporate resources, right? It's funny you bring that up. Two points on that, Andy. Number one, and you know, maybe we should do a zero trust episode sometime. I think we're kind of putting all the pieces together and then we could do an episode that wraps it all up. But today, just so everybody knows, if you go to a Microsoft facility, there is no corporate Wi-Fi. For employees, there's one called MSFT iNet and it is literally just an internet connection. And that's what any Intune managed devices I have will automatically join. Andy's point still stands, but I did just want to make that point as we've moved towards a, a zero trust mindset and model at Microsoft that having access to the trusted corporate network is being more and more locked down all the time. Second point on that is that I'm recording this podcast right now on my personal Mac mini, Macintosh, running Mac OS, that is managed by Intune as part of the Microsoft corporate environment. And so I can use this computer, and I do, to conduct my Microsoft company business. And it's a personally owned device. It is Adam Brewer's Mac mini. LOL, it's a Mac. LOL, it's Microsoft. And I can totally do everything I need to do. I can get on VPN. I can run all the apps. I can do everything. There is no distinction because like Andy said, as far as Microsoft is concerned, did it get all the Intune policy? Did it set all the settings? Is it as secure and meet all the requirements? Then go to town, do business on it, conduct work. And it's awesome. So that's a really, really good point is just because I legally own this device in the sense that I paid money to Apple and Apple shipped it to me doesn't mean I can't use it to be productive. That is no bearing on how that works. Now, Microsoft does recognize 
recognize it's a personal device and that does restrict iNo from an IT perspective, what they can see about the device in Intune compared to my Surface Book 3, which is listed as a corporate device because it came in through autopilot and they do have access to more telemetry, more information because it is considered corporate in Intune. I know as a, a former Intune administrator, there's a fundamental difference there. But from a perspective of me and what I can do with the devices, I can get the same work done on both of them. So thanks for sharing that. That's another really good point. So Adam mentioned that Apple and Android are moving towards restricting or separating out the automated enrolled devices versus the personal devices and what you can access. But I do recommend that if you do issue out corporate devices, try to do it in an automated fashion because you're going to have access to the full set of APIs. Right. So for Windows devices, the modern management solution is Azure AD and Adam mentioned autopilot. Autopilot is great because if you reset the computer, it'll go right back and say, hey, this device is owned by this company. Please enter in your corporate credentials. There's no possible way that you can enter in a local user or join it with your own MSA Outlook credentials. Right. Same thing with iOS devices, Android devices. If you use Android devices, iOS is super easy. Apple Business manager, you can issue out the devices, link them to a specific MDM product. And even if you have multiple MDM products, like I mentioned at my company, we use actually three different MDM products. It's a bit fragmented, but they are all managed through Apple Business Manager. What's great about Apple Business Manager is within there, you can just switch the MDM profile and it actually has no bearing on the user's device until they reset it. So for example, if that user is on AirWatch and it's a Apple Business Manager device and it has automated enrollment, I can switch that device from AirWatch to Intune and the user's not gonna know any difference until they reset the device. When they reset the device, the device will talk back to Apple Business Manager. It'll say, oh, I'm with Intune now. And then it'll actually pull down the Intune policy and the profiles, which is super cool. Same thing with Macs, right? Macs can be done through Apple Business Manager as well. So I highly recommend that because you're gonna get the most granular policies possible when it comes to the automated devices. And, you know, as long as we're kind of talking about things to be aware of, right, and certainly to Andy's point, this is a direction a lot of organizations can gain more maturity is in the space of leveraging automated device enrollment across all the different platforms. One thing we want you to be aware of is that there is a management model for Android that's going away. So there was this management style for Android called device administrator or device manager. I forget what it's called, but it's the old thing and it's going away. And so in the current release of Android, it's deprecated. It doesn't work fully. And the thing that's happening is you either need to implement work profiles, work folders for user-driven enrollments, or again, one of those automated device enrollment styles like Google Zero Touch, Android Zero Touch, whatever it's called for corporate-owned devices. And so that's just something to be aware of if you're still using that. You've probably already started to run into some headaches at this point as people have gotten, you know, the newest release of Android stuff is potentially breaking. But if you haven't started making that effort, you're kind of behind the eight ball. You're going to have to go a little faster than you'd like because it is going away. And as devices update, which I know isn't super common in Android, normally you have to buy a new device to get a new OS, but still just as an awareness piece, that's something that's going away. And Andy, were there any um, nuances about work profile? I think you have a little bit of experience with it that you could share. 
Yeah. So to save some people headaches, Android work profiles is a big difference when it comes to the user experience compared to any type of NDM solution on iOS. For iOS, it just writes kind of over the operating system or it's sandboxed within the app itself. But work profiles completely segregates the personal apps from your work apps. And that can come into some headaches for the users because let's say I have Outlook in my work profile and it has access to my company data and I click on a link that I need to open up in a web page. If I don't have a browser installed in my work profile, the link won't actually know where to go. It can't open that link because it's tied to the work profile. It can't open it in the browser that is installed in the personal profile. So you have to push out a browser, Chrome, Edge, Firefox, whatever it is that you want to push out or have them pick their own that you pick from the store to say these are the selections that we allow. Same thing with say Zoom. I've, I've encountered that where I try to click on a Zoom link within Outlook and it's in my work profile and then it tries to open it up in the app. But if the app is not installed in the work profile, again, it doesn't know where to go. So there's those nuances. Same thing with the camera. If you take a picture with the camera, that is then tied to personal storage right? Because all of your photos are in your personal storage. And now if you want to upload that photo to say Teams, which is a work app in the work profile, now it has to traverse from the personal storage over to the work storage. And so there's some nuances there. It all can be done. There's definitely some documentation you're going to have to provide your users, but it is definitely a major difference from their normal experience. And there's going to be some user education that's going to be required. The other thing I've ran into as well, and I've talked to you about this, Adam, are the Teams devices. If you're applying some sort of of conditional access to O365 because Teams is O365. Microsoft has these really cool devices called Teams phones or Teams devices where they have screens and Teams and all this other stuff. Well, that's going to try to apply conditional access to it because most of those Teams phones run Android on the back end. Now, it is a it's considered like almost like an IoT device because it's not a full version of Android. It's a stripped down version of Android, but because it is Android, conditional access being applied to O365 is going to try to trigger on that. So there is a way to work around it. You can do a dynamic device group for these Teams phones and then exclude them from your conditional access policy. You can do things like with your network and say if it's on the trusted network, you can exclude that from conditional access policies. Most of those phones won't support work profiles. So you'll also have to have some sort of exception that if it tries to push out work profiles, you'll have to actually use the device administrator or the old method to try to essentially enroll the phone. So if you use Teams phones, be aware of that. They're super neat, cool, and very useful. But if you're trying to apply conditional access policies, you may have to work around some exceptions for that. One note on that, if you do run into this or it's something you're experiencing, reach out to your Microsoft account team and your team's technical specialist. They do have some documentation on how to navigate this. And you know, it, it is unfortunate because as somebody who works at Microsoft, I, I certainly frequently try to tell the story that since Satya Nadella arrived, it's a really different company and culturally is very different than it used to be because there's that famous web comic that had all the different org charts from years ago. You know, Apple, every single person reported to the man in the middle, which was Jobs at the time. And then Google had this super complex matrix organization that didn't make any sense. And Microsoft was these three different organizations with guns pointed at each other. <laughs> and it, Satya actually writes about it in his book, Hit Refresh, and talks about you know how that was a kind of culture he wanted to change. But sometimes it's just a really big company and there's different groups that do different things and they don't talk to each other. And this honestly feels like one of them. So, so certainly an opportunity to get better. But there is some 
like Andy said, there's definitely ways to work around this, but big company, sometimes not everything is all integrated from day one. We'll get there. Last thing to talk about, and then we can wrap up the show, corporate Macintoshes. So Macs in your corporate environment. So anybody who's kind of poked around the underbelly of macOS for any length of time has found that macOS theoretically has the ability to bind to on-premises Active Directory. Like it can be a device that's connected to your AD and you can sign in with your AD account. Don't do it. Never do it. And if you know anybody doing it, tell them to stop. There's a freeware product that used to be available. I don't know if it still is. That was called Nomad, which stood for No More AD. And it was essentially a way to kind of tie into Active Directory user accounts on the Macintosh without binding them to Active Directory. So, so the difference here is it's still a local account, but it is named like your AD account. I think this is how it works. And then there's still, it creates that connection, gets all the Kerberos tickets and everything. So you can get single sign-on access to AD resources. So it's kind of a nice little bridge tool that got bought by Jamf. And there's a product called Jamf Connect that does all the stuff Nomad did and a lot more today. So pretty much if you're in any sort of corporate environment and you have a corporate identity, you should own Jamf Connect. You just should buy it because A, it's awesome. B, Jamf is awesome. And C, it's going to make life a lot easier. Just don't bind your Macs to AD. That said, though, we're talking about device management overall. And almost all the tools we talked about support Mac. Mac management because today Mac management is very, very similar to iOS management under the hood. Apple kind of bolted on all of the things that iOS does from like configuration profiles and MDM APIs, and they backported that to Mac OS. So if I'm an MDM vendor, it's pretty simple to at least get the basic functionality up and running for the Mac without a whole heck of a lot of work. That said, there's still some things you're just not going to be able to do on Mac OS without an actual agent. And that's where solutions, again, I'm, I'm going to pitch them because they're awesome. Uh, Jamf, because they do implement the whole Mac OS MDM API, but then they actually have an agent that runs as well that gives you even more capability on top of it. So my guidance is kind of see if your existing MDM solution is going to have enough capability for you. Maybe all you need are some really basic controls. You want to set a password policy. You want to turn on file vault. You want to turn on the firewall. And that's all you need. You can probably do that with whatever your existing MDM solution is. But understand that even though the Mac is easy to use, managing Macs is not simplistic. It is a profession. It is a career. It is a development path for people who choose to be Mac management professionals. It's not something where you can go to your Windows guys and say, hey, can you guys manage some Macs too? They might be able to do the basic stuff, but if you want to get advanced, just know that this is a career path and this is a practice that you can stand up independently of your Windows management practice. So that said, I think we've kind of given you the path of, you know, try out your tool first and see how it goes. And I would say in particular, there's interesting tie-in too for Microsoft customers, if you're on like Azure AD, where there's a tie-in between Jamf Pro, which is the management platform, and Microsoft Intune and Azure AD. And the way that works is you have a Mac, it's managed by Jamf Pro. Jamf Pro and Intune kind of work together to determine if the device is compliant, and that state gets reported to Azure AD when you're 
you're trying to get access to a thing like Exchange Online. And so that all ties in really neatly. It's really smooth. Jamf was one of the first partners Microsoft ever let connect. That was a third party. Now that's like a publicly accessible API, but that partnership was invented with Jamf and Microsoft. So that's something that's a, that's a really nice capability too. Even if you have Macintoshes, you can still do everything we talked about from a perspective of configuring device compliance and using that state to make access decisions in your identity platform. So there's some cool stuff there. I just want to echo the binding to AD. Definitely don't bind your devices to AD. If you've ever experienced that, you'll understand that anytime you change your passwords, you're going to get keychain errors and all of that. So don't do that. Use some sort of management profile to configure those. For our instance at my company, we kind of use a mix between Intune and Jamf. We are Jamf customers as well because they are the best in the business when it comes to corporate owned devices. And we do DEP for those and all of those are Jamf managed. But then and for personal devices, we use Intune. So because Jamf costs licenses, and if you do conditional access for everybody, then anyone who's on a personal Mac will then have to enroll in Jamf as well. And Jamf is pretty heavy-handed. Like Adam said, it implements all of the APIs, and so it can do a lot. But at the same time, that's probably not how you want to manage personal devices. So depending on your risk and your security policies, you know, maybe I just want to make sure that they have their firewall turned on, the gatekeeper turned on, on the file vault encryption, right? That can be accomplished through Intune. Jamf, you know, can do a lot more like deploying applications. Adam mentioned Jamf Connect, which can integrate not only with AD, but it can integrate with a SaaS IDP like Azure AD or Okta or Ping. You know, it has those capabilities. So then if you change your passwords or it can do single sign-on to different SaaS apps using that identity provider. So it can basically become parity with your Windows machines, right? You can use a combination of the things that we talked about to manage Macs, and that's what we do at my company. I have a buddy who works for Jamf, and he gets offended whenever I say this, but I mean it in a complimentary way. I always say Jamf is the SCCM of the Mac, and he gets mad because like, no, it's modern. It's it's good. SCCM is old. And it's like, no, I, I don't mean it that way. I mean in the sense that it can do everything. It is, you know, the everything tool. If you can't do it with Jamf, you can't do it, pretty much. So I mean it very complimentary, but it's, it's funny how he always reacts to that because he sees SCCM as like this old legacy thing, and and he doesn't want to be associated with that. So anyhow. Well, that's our show on device management. Hopefully you guys took away some things. If you have questions on it, both Adam and I have been in the device management space for a fairly long time. We have a fairly good grasp around all of this stuff. So definitely reach out to us, ping us on Twitter, ping us on LinkedIn. If you have follow-up questions, all the contacts will be in the show notes. Reach out to us. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Blue Security Podcast. Please check out the show notes, catch up on episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Find Andy on Twitter at AJAWZERO and Adam at AJ Brewer. See you at our next episode.